Welcome to Beer and a Movie, the podcast where we discuss two of the greatest art forms known to humanity, beer and movies, sometimes achieving outstanding pairings and other times giving ourselves the opportunity to wash the terrible taste of failure from our mouths. I'm one of your hosts. My name is Dave Gurney. I'm here as always with Joe Hilliard. And we have a real fun guy in the third chair this week, Harold Ramos. Hello. Hey. How you guys doing? I always like it when you're here. Thank you. I yeah. love being here. You know there's going to be like a seriousness of uh, intent when it comes to his <laughs> uh, his film and beer yeah. criticism. Sure, of course. That, uh, that yeah. very few of our guests bring I on, take a, both those things very on a regular he, basis. He fires on both barrels. That's right. Big time. Double barrel. That's my nickname. <laughs> my nickname. Don't wear it out. <laughs> Well, I don't know where the first beer came from, David. We cannot figure it out. It, yeah, its origins are unknown to us, but it, it landed in your refrigerator, Joe, mm-hmm. and it's high time that we drink this thing. Yeah, this is the first time we've ever been to Oak Highlands Brewery out of the Dallas area. Uh-huh. Always love a new brewery. This is their Belgian-style triple or tripel sometimes. It's called a Freaky Deaky 10% ABV. I like starting off. In the double digits. <laughs> Belgian-style triple ale, light in color and brewed with American hops rather than the traditional noble hops. Now, why would they do that? Because they want to highlight America. America? Yeah. America, yeah you know. It's a Dallas brewery. No, yeah, I mean, yeah. It's, you know, try well, to just a different take on. Create a like a style. different spin yeah, on course, it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, for their purposes, I guess that's what makes this triple freaky deaky. Sure. And I think traditionally those, those other hops are a little more... Classic, kind of earthy, kind of a forest floor, and, mm-hmm. and whereas American hops are a little more bright, citrusy. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see. see we'll see how it comes out. Plays through, and I'm definitely getting the Belgian yeast mm-hmm. character on For the sure. nose. Yeah, the esters. Yeah. yeah, little of those fruity esters kind of bumping around. Yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm curious. That'll be it'll be interesting. We have another triple in a long time. First time uh, to Oak Island. Not my favorite style, but once in a while, it's okay to have a triple. It's yeah, okay. I've kind of been away from Belgians yeah, for a while in it's general. Just, it's that kind of the estery kind of. Banana cloak thing kind of turns you off sometimes. It can, or it, yeah, it, it seemed like it was around a lot in the early 2010s for, sure. for me. But uh, yeah, so hey, I'm I'm excited to try this one. And freaky deaky seems kind of appropriate given uh, the material that we're going to be diving into with our film in the first half of the episode. The new film from Ethan Cohen, not the Cohen brothers, but Ethan Cohen solo, uh, Driveway Dolls, the first film directed solely by Ethan Cohen. He wrote it along with his wife, uh, who has uh, Trisha Cook, who has been an editor on several of the Cohen Brothers projects over the years. So she's kind of been in, in the mix there, um, so to speak. But this is the first thing that they've kind of gone off and done on their own without, I believe it's big brother Joel. I think Joel's the older brother. I think you're right. Whose you know, solo effort we did, The Tragedy of Macbeth, oh back God, in right. episode 178. That's Radically right. Radically different films. Well, absolutely. And I'm kind of curious, because <laughs> where we're heading yeah. with this episode, I feel like I have some perspective on these two guys separate. For sure. Uh, in a way that I never had before yep. when I was always yeah. thinking of them together. I agree. But let's let's talk about Driveway Dolls first. This is, of course, the 2024 release um, where Jamie, played by Margaret Qualley, is a young lesbian who has just kind of gotten out of a relationship or, or taken herself out of a relationship with mm-hmm. her behavior, I guess. Um, and gets together with a friend, Marion, who wants to go visit her aunt in Tallahassee uh, and decides, okay, I'll tag along, you know. And so they're going to go on this road trip from Philadelphia to Tallahassee. And they decide to do so by way of doing a quote unquote drive away, which is mm-hmm. where they're taking a car that needs to be in a place 
where it is not currently getting actually paid a little bit, I think, to do that, like do the transport job there. In doing so, they pick up a vehicle that has some other cargo in it that they are unaware of. And the wheel well. In the wheel well, and so people are seeking that car because they would desperately like to get their hands back on that cargo, and, you know, these are criminal uh, folks, so we have the sort of world of crime come in, and violence, and a chase ensues on the great road trip that uh, Jamie and Marion take. Lots of Coen Brothers tropes, you would say. Yeah, yeah there very, are, yeah, right? For sure. Yeah. We we could, and I think we will probably touch on many of them. But, you know, here I've, I've mentioned already Margaret Qualley plays Jamie. Mm-hmm. We have uh, in the role of Marion Geraldine Viswanathan, who was in Blockers. That That's maybe the primary film that I think uh, listeners to this podcast would have heard us talk about her in. She was pretty funny in that. Mm-hmm. I, I remember her being kind of a standout in that film. We also have Beanie Feldstein yeah. as Suki. That's the jilted uh, ex lover of uh of margaret qualley's um that is a police officer in her in her daily life and uh coleman domingo yeah we recently talked about in rustin fresh off of rustin playing one of those criminals the chief who's after them uh pedro pascal shows up and he, he's in sort of an intro scene and then <laughs> sprinkled nice, throughout nice the film <laughs> yeah. he's got a good little cameo in a specific way yeah. and probably the other big notable kind of cameos that you have in there matt damon Shows up Matt as a prominent Damon. character. Mm-hmm. And Mighty Cyrus in a recurring series of these sort of uh, psychedelic flashback yeah. sequences that, that punctuate <clears throat> the film. And I agree, Harold. There's a lot of interesting, like, as I was watching it, point to all these, oh, yeah, the Coen brothers mm-hmm. have done that before. Oh, mm-hmm. the Co- Coen brothers mm-hmm. have done that yeah. before. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't want to, I don't know how to jump into this one. Well, I want to talk about the work divorce, right? Because okay. like with the Coen Brothers canon, and we've done three or four of their films here on the podcast, if you consider their canon from Blood Simple to Raising Arizona, their first two films, yeah. you see this kind of interesting duality. Yep. Because Raising Arizona's got no DNA from Blood Simple. Doesn't feel like it. Doesn't no. feel like it at all. These no. are two different movies. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you can see the DNA that goes from Blood Simple to No Country for Old Men, but what is Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? You know, where did that come yeah. from? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the first pass at solo work makes me believe that Joel is the more serious-minded and Ethan is the more whimsy-minded. Absurd. Yeah. Comedy. So yes. when so I'm sitting dark. down at this film, yeah. I'm instantly seeing, yeah, instantly, for sure. Big Lebowski sure. and Raising Arizona. Absolutely. All the fingerprints yeah. all over. 100%, it. yeah. And I would also say from like a visual standpoint, I get the sense that Joel is the more exacting and more thoughtful composer for the screen, so to speak. I don't know. I didn't really like this film, guys. I got, I got, I got to get right out there. I, and I'm, and I'm hoping you guys can convince me otherwise. I'm telling you, um, it took me a good 10 minutes to settle into it. Good. I agree. 100%. I can tell you yeah. the two reasons I came up with were Margaret Qualley's performance. Okay. She was terrible, right? Or, or, or are we going to defend this? Uh, that southern accent I, was. Well, go so on, David. What was that? What was so bad about it? What was that? Texas. Oh yeah, that, that's not a Texas accent. Oh but, my that's god. That's not a Texas accent. And and like the, I think he wrote the dialogue for Francis McDormand to deliver. Mm. And and I'm getting Margaret Qualley doing this really hammy, like played up, like generic southern well, the, accent. The thing throughout is, the if you think about almost like you, a Holly Hunter raising Arizona. Okay, there, yes, Holly yes, Hunter, Francis yes. McDormand. There are actors in the Coen Brothers universe who I could have imagined 
could have imagined nailing that character. Well, the, the thing that, that throws me off, too, is because she's – that's Annie McDowell's daughter, right? Mm-hmm. So Andy has that kind of southern draw a little she bit to her. She's like right. from – we're in South Carolina, North Carolina. That's probably so right. So that's Quali's natural accent. But they, right. they made her take this other accent. And, yeah, so when I watched the movie, I was like, man, this is not – I was not feeling it. I didn't like her character at all. I didn't like her accent. Yeah. But – Eventually, I just kind of fell into it, and it, it got me. It got and easier. I was like, as man, a I, I just, same, Harold. It, it took same. me a while. I was like, man, this movie's gonna suck. I'm not gonna like this. But then, as I'm watching it, I'm like, you know what? There's something here. I'm seeing touches of like, you know, the Big Lebowski. I'm seeing touches yeah. of like, I think she built a character. Ultimately. Cult, you know, this cult movie. I think that's gonna take time. Uh-huh. Hmm. That's gonna get panned like Lebowski was. This in, is going in, so in, differently in, than in, I thought it was going to. By the way, and, and I believe in due time. 10 years, maybe five, maybe, you know, with the way things move nowadays quicker, it will become a movie that will have a, a following, I think, in the future. Right now, it's going to get panned. It's going to be kind of be criticized. Is it being panned? Because I didn't look. A little bit, yeah, from what I've seen. There's, okay. there's, it's pretty, I think it's like 50-50 right now. Here was the second thing that took me, you know, that had problems settling into the film was the scene transitions. Oh, the, they, uh, they, start, they started off strange. being like yeah. really shitty PowerPoint slide yeah. presentations, like the... The image of one scene would fold up like origami, yes. and then there was one that bounced for a <laughs> yes. while. So, so the thing is, for me, when I'm watching the movie, I thought of like Looney Tunes, like cartoons. I know that that's kind right? of what that's the, that's. I think he was going for. He was going for this like cartoonish I think kind of. You're probably like, right. Like the '50s, '60s Looney Tunes transitions, and he's kind of bounced. Yeah, exactly what he was doing. But it was cartoonish. The angles were kind well, of cartoonish. Well, of course, they knew, they, they knew what they were doing. Yeah. I mean, they did it on purpose. But yeah. the problem is, was it too big of a swing yeah. artistically? David, it sounds like it might have been. Now, I the, don't know. I think the it, transition it, 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 to- it took, it took me out of it, is all I can say. Yeah. It's like, oh, when it, those happened, the first ones, everyone, yeah. I was like, oh, See, but, but for me, eventually, eventually, when I realized what he was doing, exactly, it made sense. Okay. You know, like the okay. weird psychedelic scenes. You know, That's these, exactly where I was going. You know, you're, okay. you're, you're watching- the, Okay, so like, there's, there's, this, there's this little- Interstitials that happen yeah. every so often with they so- started so- off shitty, like I said. Soundtrack with like Maggot Brain from a Parliament Funkadelic, and you're trying to piece together what the hell does this mean? So it refers to the case, right? So there's you alluded to was in the trunk of the car, right? And there is a, a case in the car, a la Pulp Fiction, sure. So the mystery is what's in the case, and you don't know what's in the case, and you're wondering. So they're they start having these strange, out of nowhere, these really vivid, psychedelic, kind of mushroomy, DMT yeah, yeah. kind of scenes. And, and, like, and there are a couple of them that go for a while. Yeah. So yeah. you're like, okay, there's Nance from Miley Cyrus has her cameo, and she's like this kind of goddess. Yeah. Uh-huh. I don't know. You don't know what the hell's going on. Right. So, But they're very psychedelic and trippy. Super, yeah. And yeah. eventually it gets revealed, and <laughs> I don't want to ruin it just yet, but like uh, – no, 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 it's time. So, so you're thinking, you're thinking, you know, in this briefcase, it must be like drugs, right? Drugs I'm, I'm thinking there's going to be cash. like mushrooms in there. I thought it was drugs for sure. Because I thought it was cash because thing. then they go to the expensive hotel after they find it and start spending money more frivolously. Where did that card come from? Though? Was that her card? The the pride credit card? I think it was because she said like they they do make reference at some point to like you're going to have to pay that. Was that from the no, yeah, that's when I think we've already figured out yeah. what's in the case. What's yes. in the case, Harold? To tell us, so, please. So, us. 
<laughs> it's, it's actually lines. pretty fucking brilliant. So, so you're thinking so a movie you think like it's this. Brilliant. I, I, I thought think this it is. Was, I be, thought it was so stupid. For me, I loved I love it. I loved movie. it because oh. I like this movie. I'm so glad we're having. A I fight. loved it too because because I think when you watch the movie, you see Rukis. They're never gonna tell you what's in it. Like it's gonna be a kind of another Pulp Fiction kind of story, right? Uh-huh. Well, when they reveal it, it's the dumbest thing ever. It's a, it's a set of plaster caster dildos, right? Which okay, <laughs> but it makes no sense why Quali and and uh, her partner are. Marion, the character, right. are, react the way they do to that. It's five fucking dildos in a in a well, briefcase. But, but would these but, lesbians but, but, really but, be? But, like, but, the, but the problem is, the problem is. Hold, what, hold on, Margaret Qualley's reaction was like this crooked smile yeah, after a little. I guess, while. but then they like come charging out like they have this but mission this is after now. After they found a human head. Yeah. Yeah. No, but yes, after they found yeah. a human right. head. So, so we found a human head. Right. I think we're a little put off I by it, but we of, open up the briefcase of dildos. I and think. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I think they're. I think they were kind of horned up. Honestly, is what I was. Oh that my was... god! Okay, and why? All right, so the, okay. so then the reason why these dildos need to be retrieved yeah. is because the, it was an actual casting, right? They're, oh, they're yeah, kind of so playing on the Cynthia plaster caster, caster although they give it a different name. I can't yeah. remember. It's no, they said plaster caster. Yeah, but it's not Cynthia. They give her a different. First oh no, no, name. somebody else. Yeah. So they so they no copyright infringement or mm-hmm. whatever. You know, you can use plaster caster wi- widely, but you can't do. But Kiss but, did it so. But, There's a great story about plaster caster. You know, Matt. Tell you after hours. Matt Damon's, not personal, but yeah. Matt Damon's cameo is playing this politician, this conservative politician. Yeah. Who may one who, day be president. Who is one of mm-hmm. the cast. You know, he he's one of the, the cocks that's been and, cast. And it ties into the in. psychedelic experience. Now we know why. Right. No, eventually, right? So. I mean, it explains that. But, like, who's going to know that that's his cock? What, what, is, is there, like, it's, some sort of certificate of authenticity <laughs> that is, like, if they bring this to Antiques Roadshow, yeah, it's, it's going to so, have the provenance? Yes, if yes, someone yes. says it's his, is, it could be proven but, but the, if there was but, a side-by-side the comparison. The problem is, David. Is that right? Yeah, it's, Oh, that's ironclad. For a presidential I, candidate, absolutely. David, they go this far these days. Oh, but for David, sure. David, it, it, it's an absurd comedy. That's, oh, it's absurd. It's absurd. And you have to I'm, just be willing to say, you know what, that's fucking dumb. But it's fucking funny as shit. I'm okay okay with it. But again, we're going to talk about a movie in the second half where the absurdity of it all still... It's a different movie. It all still works. I mean, it has some ridiculous, stupid things, but they all work beautifully. And this one, that... I think, in particular. But you know what, David? I, I think with some time and with some distance from it and watching it again, <laughs> you may change your opinion. Maybe. You know? Maybe. I you may would, change your opinion. I am, I am genuinely surprised that you guys are I think we But should I'm start, happy that you are. I'm I happy. think we should start a sheet on our master spreadsheet, David, that is wagers. Okay. That we can keep track of. Because I would place a $5 wager that David will like this movie sometime I in agree. the future. Wow. And the next time he watches it. Here's where I began to come around was the first psychedelic interstitial. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, what, what are they doing? What's, ha- what, what they, what are they trying to do? And I think ultimately he was a madcap absurdist caper. Yeah. A very sex and, and gay friendly forward in, in that. Which I'm good with. Of I, course. I, I knew, I, I knew, I knew that wasn't your issue. But what I did like about this film was that, or maybe I like about kind of how we have changed as a society is remember when Brokeback Mountain came out and it oh, was yeah, the gay movie, course, the gay yeah, movie. Yeah. And it was also very earnest. This movie is just, it's two gay leads and what amounts to a very interesting for me love story, like that they finally get together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That they are right for one another, that sure. they, they yin and yang each other. Mm-hmm. It, I didn't mean it in a sexual way. <laughs> yeah, no, the uh, dildo, it, it is the dildo 
wall mount that they had. Yeah. That, that was a gift for you. That wasn't a gift for me. That was a gift for you and some kind of fight that I'm, I, I liked this movie so, so much. I will go see it again. You guys are uh, clearly we're seeing things differently. Mm-hmm. I'm curious. What do you think of Arliss? I think is the character, right? And, uh, and Flint, right? The, the two, like, tough guys so, so for who me, are out, uh, and, and <laughs> they're the two underling mob guys that so, are yeah. chasing See, but the, the, the heavies, the, like, so, right. so the thing is, is like, when I'm seeing these, these characters, right? I'm also seeing again Cohen Brothers tropes. Yeah. Right? Think of Fargo, right? Buscemi and Stormare, right? And that comparison does right? not work favorably so, but, to me. But that's the thing. Because this, the, this is not the, that because the latter was much more effective and awesome. Yes. But yeah. this is I not that this point. is not that movie though. This I this, know. Is, this is a comedy. This is an absurd well, Fargo is a comedy. Dark comedy. Fargo, you know, a little more serious, right? And this one to me it, it's yeah. almost like he's kind of playing he's almost making fun of himself. He's kind of playing at himself. You got these two bumbling idiots. And it's it's the same situation. One kills the other one, right? Basically, yeah. like Fargo. You know, I, the one is annoyed look, by the other okay. one, just Raising like Fargo. Arizona, Raising Arizona, which we can all agree is one of the juicier, sillier, mm-hmm. funnier of the Coen Brothers films, has Randall Tex Cobb yep. as that like badass, you yeah. know, uh, demon from hell sure. pursuing them. Great, seriously evil, kind of scary character in the midst of that. Um, Peter Stormare in mm-hmm. uh, in Fargo yeah. has that kind evil. of yeah. evil kind uh-huh. of you know the, and I think that in that pairing there needed to be one of those characters needed to be actually somewhat scary right. on, on some level. And I think neither Coleman of Domingo's them character was kind of the heavy, could have, you know? but they didn't but, but, go but there. He didn't do much. But then no. again, like I told you, what I saw earlier was with like some of these transitions, some of these these dissolves yeah. and these cuts. I got a lot of like like a cartoonish, you know. Yeah. So so think about Looney Tunes. The bad guys are always bumbling idiots. It, it kind of falls in place with that foundation, I would say, a little bit. When you know? we started this podcast, David, I never thought we'd talk about Joey Slotnick. <laughs> yeah. You know? But you funny. wanted to. Uh, I, I, someday. Yeah. Today's the day. Well, here we are. I've always kind of liked Joey Slotnick. He's always been a supporting yeah. character in show uh, Alias, I think. Uh, yeah. All those nineties, two thousand comedies, up, yeah. sitcoms he would pop in on. He is miscast here, but he doesn't. He doesn't ruin the movie. I loved there when they when the other guy goes crazy and shoots yeah. him and, and goes to shoot the girls <laughs> who are tied again, up at the right point. There, they, they also that, had a, they also had a homosexual rendezvous. That scene would have. That's made, right. Did you catch that? Yeah. yeah. And that scene would have made more sense to me had that other character been built up to be a more dangerous kind of volatile presence. Instead, he was just kind of bumbling until but, the moment know, but, where but he had been antagonizing. The guy that gets shot but had been again, antagonizing the shooter. Think about the whole Fargo. Movie. It's kind of the same thing. Peter Stormare's character is just like stoic and quiet. He's yeah, just but, sitting there percolating, burning away. And you can feel it. And, and Buscemi under the is like, and, and I got that for me. When I watch, I can see the guys like yeah. getting pushed by this guy. He's constantly insulting him. Making fun of him, you know, dehumanizing him. Yeah. I knew it was going to happen, mm-hmm. so I wasn't that shocked. I was where you were, David, me. in the first 10, 15 minutes, but I quickly oh, shifted full, full into so, it. So and thing, seeing the Matt Damon billboard yeah. when we hadn't seen the you character were ready yet, was. I was like, "Oh my okay. god, this is so, yeah. this is so fun! It's just fun." So, so that's one thing I appreciate the movie as well. I appreciate the fact that yes, it, it's a it's a lesbian rom com road movie, whatever it is. They're not. Signaling, like virtually, they're not trying to say it's a gay movie. Let's let's all no. accept it. 
It's not about that at all. This no. is just a comedy mm-hmm. where the characters are lesbians. Mm-hmm. Well, in fact, you know? I mean, because this has been in like gestation for a long since, time. Yeah, since the 90s, like and, 2000. And the title was originally Driveaway Dikes, Dikes, which they right. reveal at the end right. when there's like this, you know, title card that has like mm-hmm. two slips of paper they get fly away when that, they drive and, by. and it reveals Driveaway Dikes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, there's a lot, I mean, there's a lot of sex in the movie. Well, also, you got to realize and, too. And I, I, I enjoy it. His, all. his wife is actually. Consider she, yeah. she considers herself a lesbian. Yeah, uh-huh. Ethan's wife, and they have a uh, polygamous marriage. Uh-huh. So I guess this is like kind of her experience, I guess, more yeah. or less. Yeah, so. yeah, but it also sounds like justifying the ability to talk about it. Yeah. You know, when we when we justify like that, well, the co-writer, yeah, his wife was yeah. the co-writer, yeah, and, and she edited it, yeah. edited it. That she's a lesbian means that it's okay to talk about. It. No, it's, yeah. let's just talk about everything. Yeah. Poor things, man. Poor things. <laughs> <laughs> well, for me, there was just no like message. It was just like, let's just have fun with the story. You know, have and fun I'm with not, it. Yeah. And, and as I'm watching it, I know we're, our movie we're doing the second half. I, I kept going back to that movie, Big Lebowski. I'm like, you know, this movie to me is going to be someone's Big Lebowski in their generation. Maybe some young girl who's going through the same experience as these characters in the movie will one day, yeah. this will be her Big Lebowski. She's going to find it to me where they can go back and watch it with having fun. They're going to have a lot of similar. Uh, we'll get into it. There's a lot, a lot of, of similar. There's a lot of similar. Yes, I agree. I agree. Mm-hmm. Uh, I agree. That I enjoyed. Yeah. Very, very much. And now I'm looking forward to seeing it again to re to enjoy yeah. those first 10 minutes in a way that I, 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 I did. But I do agree. I was kind of like, eh, I'm not going to like this, but eventually it just got me. Yeah. I, I just well, kind of like I'm glad. See, we're on, I, if I remember correctly, on Joyride, you were kind of. Super, so, so Joyride, I would say. You were the odd person. So Joyride was, was also like trying to be raunchy. Yeah. But I didn't find the humor like funny. This yeah. one was raunchy, but I, I was laughing in the theater. I, I laughed out yeah, loud. I, I had several laughs. I laughed a lot more yeah. in Joyride than I, I did, did with not this at one. All. I did not and, at all. and I just, and I felt like it wasn't even necessarily that the, the writing wasn't there because I think Ethan still is a funny guy. I think that the writing is pretty good. But again, the quality character here, to me, yeah, think, is a linchpin yeah. for the film. Jamie had to be spot on, and she never felt spot on to me. I think it was... It's the fatal bullet for this movie. Luckily, for me. Luckily, well, Harold and I got but on luckily, board. luckily, I think uh, Geraldine Marion's character yeah. was friggin' awesome. Yes, I thought I she was I, excellent. I think she did a really good job. I think she did a really good job. But it she made really it all the more hard for me to watch well. her play off somebody who I thought was like a yeah. bad... There was a bit of research I didn't do. There's a bit of trivia that I want to... In the research that I did, I think it's interesting. It's a little off topic. But what I didn't do was any Henry James tr- uh, oh, research. Yeah, I didn't either, man. I, I should have done that. Yeah, so, this is a retelling of a Henry James story yeah. or stories. Yeah. It has to be because Henry James is, is referenced so yeah. often. But up to 2003, Joel received sole credit for uh, directing and Ethan for producing due to the Directors Guild rules that disallowed right. multiple director credits yeah. to prevent the dilution of the position's ex- uh, significance. The only exception to this rule is if the co-directors are a quote-unquote established duo, which they, after doing so many films together, mm-hmm. proved, and then in 2004 they could share the director credit. If you watch, if you look at the credits for Lebowski, it says that Joel directed it and yeah. Ethan was a writer. So Right, yeah. It, well, it well, is like that, I guess. Well, we'll dive into Lebowski in the second half. I'm excited. Yeah. What would you guys think of Freaky Deaky? Yeah. 
Huh. I think my opinion is kind of like David's opinion of the movie. Oh. <laughs> it's just not that great. It's not special. It's trying it's to do not, a Belgian accent, yeah, but it's just not nailing yeah. it. No. Uh, just, just think of like John claude Van Damme. Yeah. Know, this beer there. tasted like Margaret Qualley's performance. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's like her accent. Yeah, her accent was terrible. It's not a bad beer. I'd drink another one if that was what was at the party. Uh, but I, mean, I, I don't know, think I'm, that, not, I'm not going to turn the beer down. But I wouldn't. I would never buy a six pack of this stuff. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm. I, I hate to say it. I, I'm kind of there as well. It was. Uh, I mean, it's not undrinkable. I'm. Not, I'm not. I'm As not, Harold offers me the last I'm, pour, <laughs> I'm, I'm his, having my portion of it for sure. And there is this like strange kind of astringent finish. What is it? Yeah. A metallic. I don't, I, I don't know. And that, that that kind of throws me off. I think it's the hops or like maybe it's the yeast. I think the yeast strain they're using. I agree. It feels like they're leaning more into like the West Coast American hops, where it's it. They're going for that kind of like you know what West Coast IPA. Will, a good comparison would be an American barley wine versus English barley wine. Mm. Like that, that kind of hoppy. Yeah. Whereas the Belgian triples aren't hoppy; they're more just malty. Right. But this is this is kind of hoppy. But you're getting a pronounced, yeah, and and not like it the, says it has 46 IBUs, which is, which is pretty high. Yes, and I and I think there's a way to do that that could like be more harmonious with the Belgian triple yeast quality, but. This one feels like a little bit more of a hard sort of trying well, to just if you can look at some of the triples that are out there, like the classics like Course and Dog and like uh, Chimay's, this is a poor, poor excuse for a triple. Well, it's just it's, yeah. <laughs> I'm just shaking my head because yeah. you mentioned IBUs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's an archaic term nowadays, but. All right. Well, when we come back, let's say. Cohen f- double feature. I promise I'll be happier. I, I imagine I, that you're going <laughs> to. I'm sure you will. <laughs> glasses we already kind of spilled the beans on what the uh the movie is so it's a good thing we have because uh, the connection is going to be obvious here um we're returning to martin house uh a brewery that we have gone to many times over uh you know we've done pickle beers with them we've done heavier stouts with them we've done uh various other odd concoctions that, that they've come up with here we are doing an ale that they describe as a white russian inspired ale and they call it calmer than you are. And it has a, a picture of a man's feet, well, wh- one foot up uh, on a bathtub with some candles going. Oh, what is that? And, Interesting. And a nice little, uh, you Robert know. Ducky? <laughs> is that um, a marmot? What yeah, marmot in the tub. <laughs> nice so, you know, of course, uh, all of this referencing the Coen Brothers film, The Big Lebowski, which we will be talking about in the second half. This is a 12 percenter, Joe, so we're Damn. staying in double nice. digits this entire episode. It's our 13th visit to Martin House. Look at that. Yeah, so they're, double they're digits. There. I think we're about to hit even higher digits here, guys, because <laughs> I brought you all a special concoction. I made it home today for you all. This just means it's a Herald episode. Dan. So I figured, why not have some white Russians during, or Caucasians, I like during the, the way Big you Lebowski. Think. So I made us a batch Caucasian cocktail. Caucasian Jackie? This idea I made us a, a batch cocktail of... Caucasians. Oh, I didn't mention you. up top you are the executive director of uh, the executive chef rather at the Correct. Corpus Christi Country Club. We went to uh, your home for a very fancy 
baby shower for our buddy Daniel. Daniel, man. And so I'm well, expecting... Well, fancy in terms of quality of food, that's totally right. casual <laughs> yes. and relaxed yes. in terms of company. And, exactly. You know. yeah. My point, David, I'm expecting a white Russian that's probably <laughs> above... Next level? Yeah. Um, I, he poured it's, it and it looks beautiful. It's proper. It's 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 it pretty much equal parts Kahlua, vodka, and cream. Mm. Very sweet, so... What's what the style of this beer? I was watching the White Russian. White Russian. White Russian. Uh, it's a White Russian inspired ale. Okay. So brown, I don't know it's what they're. It's like a brown ale. Yeah, I was going to say, kind of like in God. terms of the actual base, it looks like it smells might be like, the, like the cocktail. It smells yeah, lovely. Smell the cocktail. But it is. I took a sip. Like, I can't talk. I've already, I've already tasted caramel, it. Caramel, coffee. Yeah. Ooh, that's boozy. <laughs> It's gonna be good. Why are we drinking white Russians? Because white Russians are the dude's favorite drink. He makes them a dozen times. Uh, He makes himself a white Russian a dozen times in the Big Lebowski. Did you count it? Twelve? No, I'm just okay. All right. 1998. Somebody has. There's there's sites tracking this. There's like 500 fucks in the movie. That's the thing about Lebowski. It's why take the time to synopsize it. Uh, I will try briefly, but it is considered by many to be the Coen brothers, their favorite. Maybe not their best, but their favorite. But as I was mentioning earlier, this movie has the Ethan vibe, if we're going to do a you know dichotomy of, of, of their work in the way that they do. Lebowski, as we said earlier, I felt it during Drive-Away Dolls. I did too. I, I, did, I saw a lot of uh, comparisons and some similarities for sure. Jeff Bridges in a tour de force performance plays Jeffrey, the dude Lebowski. He's attacked in his home, uh, by two enforcers of a porno king pin played by Mr. Roadhouse. Ben <laughs> Zara. Rest in peace. Ben I was Zara. super happy to see him. Yeah. Because a different Jeff Lebowski, who was an old crotchety, seemingly millionaire, <laughs> Uh, his wife <laughs> owes some money. Human so. paraquat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but before they leave, after figuring out that they have the wrong Jeff Lebowski, he takes a leak on on the guy's rug. So he goes to the real Jeff Lebowski's to get money back for a rug. Is that rug really tied the room together? Yep. Mm-hmm. Later, the wife of the other Lebowski is kidnapped. There's a ransom note, and he hires our dude Lebowski to be the money man, the carrier, to deliver the money to the ransom. And then things just go sideways from there. I didn't mention that in his off time from Capers, uh, the dude is a bowler with his buddies, John Goodman and Steve Buscemi, and his not-so-buddy, John Totoro. And uh, so bowling weaves itself throughout Mm -hmm. as they find themselves back at the bowling alley, getting ready for the big, big tournament of which they have made it to the semis. And it's the big Lebowski. <laughs> I, mean, yeah, I mean, that's all you got to say. Well, what are we doing? That's well, all you got to say. Like, yeah. what genre is this movie? First of all, <laughs> you know, it, it just slips in between. You know, well, there's strong buddy film. Yeah, uh, you know, noir. Yeah, strong mystery. noir elements. It's it's yeah, it's just this hodgepodge of um, everything that's great about cinema mm-hmm. into one movie. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's Cards on Table. It's a perfect movie. I love this movie. With it's a every perfect ounce movie. of my being. It's I a love, perfect movie. I love this movie. I adore this film. It's are I we mean, all in unison here? Yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's outstanding. Film. I mean, I adore it's, it. it's it's hard. We were to, talking uh, uh, before we got back on mic for this second half, and I hope we'll continue the conversation after hours. Just about like the Coen Brothers canon and how many masterpieces yeah. and yeah. perfect movies there so are. So many in good it. movies. Yeah. 
this, I was a latecomer to this as far as loving it as much as I do. Sure. Uh, at the first initial release of it, I Same was Gurney with Drive Away Dolls. You know what I mean? I, I wasn't. It there, wasn't but a I miss. Was, yeah. It wasn't a miss. Yeah. It was just a okay. Yeah, that was fun. Well, a think, lot of great dialogue. Well, I had mentioned that was fun. they had just won accolades, Oscars, all his attention for Fargo, which was this, also a perfect movie, right? Fantastic film. Yeah. Serious tone, but still mm-hmm. dark comedy. So you're expecting, okay, what's going to be next? I'm like, what is this movie about? Some stoner guy who got his rug stolen? <laughs> right, stolen? Like, right. This is their follow-off? Like, yeah. what the hell? But once you realize, like, they're just kind of saying Hollywood, we don't give a fuck. We're making, we want to make as much, we want this. This way we want to make this kind of film for us, for our fans. Mm-hmm. Right. We don't care about the accolades. This is for us. And that's why I think it's so successful because it's a movie that they wanted to make without any kind of pretense of the studios. Because imagine the pressure these guys were under. Like you just released a movie that was Oscar winning. right? And, pri- Big- and prior to that few years, Barton Fink, which yeah. got so course, much yeah. notorious praise. Prior to that, yeah. Miller's Crossing, same thing. Prior to that, mm-hmm. Raising Arizona. There- so, so, so when it came out, it was kind of panned. It was kind of like, what the hell is this? This is not well. They, they, the like it was more like a Hudsucker proxy, than it, which yeah. I love. I yeah, love it's a great that. right, but it, critically yes. and yeah. uh, and commercially, it did a, a not stumble. do yeah. super well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, no, I remember this one coming out, and I re- similar to you, Harold. I I remember it coming. If Fargo was the first one of their films that I really saw in the theater w- when I was in high school. That like, wow, what yeah. what what am I seeing yeah. here? And it was you know the age of. Uh, Pulp Fiction had just come out. Like yeah. it was, it was this like feeling like, oh, there are these like darker crime movies yeah. that are really doing funny and weird and twisted things, and and I'm for that and I want to do that. And and knowing that this was coming out, I had made it to college at that point, and I remember going with a couple of my friends, my roommates, um, who were also kind of you know film guys. They they liked or they at least liked movies. The new Coen Brothers movie is coming out. This is their follow up to Fargo. We got to go see this. And, you know, it was like a Sunday afternoon. And I remember in the midst of all my homework and wh- whatever else I was doing, it's like, okay, we can take like a Sunday afternoon and head down to, it wasn't playing in the town we were going to school in. We had to drive a little ways to go. We're like, we'll go. We'll take in a matinee. And I remember going and it being a really empty theater. I remember it not being very full. I don't think the buzz had been that positive on it. And it was sort of seemed apparent that it was already not going to be the next Fargo for them. Yeah. But just laughing my ass off and thinking <laughs> this is yeah. the most yeah. ridiculous kind of follow up. <laughs> yeah. Like you're saying, yeah. like they yeah. don't care. They don't they care, don't care yeah. that they're following up this masterpiece or at least one that was a widely accepted masterpiece mm-hmm. with something that is going to challenge a lot of people. Yeah. And to this day, I still know plenty of people who will see this film and be like, what was that oh, film even about? It's like, what, very polarizing. This movie, yeah, like, for sure. th- th- there's nothing going on in it. Like, th- nothing happened. <laughs> a lot happens. But while at the same I don't time, agree. So, so much, much happens. happens. Oh my god! There's like so many different little facets to the film. There's so yeah. many stories within stories. Well, movie. there certainly wouldn't be this movie without the Coen Brothers writing it and directing it. But this movie couldn't exist without Jeff Bridges playing the dude. So can you imagine? Put another actor in there. Mel Gibson. No. No, he was the original person. Cast no, for the film. no. Is that right? Forget, forget his later day. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Mel Gibson playing the dude? That would have been, been terrible. Forget his later day transgressions. Like, are you kidding me? Like, Jeff Mel Bridges was of born to play But you know this what? Role. Jeff Bridges isn't even acting. He's just being Jeff Bridges. 
I think there's an, an element there's a, there's of that. A, but it, it, I was watching a, a little documentary about it, and like all the wardrobe mm-hmm. is his own clothes. Oh, is that right? <laughs> yeah, dude, mm-hmm. that's his clothes. Like mm-hmm. it's so. It's although I is, do think they had to find the jellies somewhere. I, I, I think like the jelly sandals <laughs> yeah, that he wears. If right. I remember correctly, when I was I reading at those. some point, yeah. like the wardrobe person like actually had to seek those out because you couldn't Probably get them in the, a man's I, size. I that's funny. The iconic jacket. The what's it called? The um, the cardigan, yeah, thing that that, that yeah. probably was something that was picked out, but like yeah. all the t-shirts and the shorts were like his old clothes, right, right. Yeah. Roll, and again, I think, like what we were talking about with the first film, that I think that Jamie character, the the one that Quali was playing in that, I think had the potential to be a dude like character, right, or a had Holly the Hunter. right, yeah. had the right person stepped sure. into it, and it okay. should have had that kind of magnetism. I see that. I see that. I can see Bridges that. did it. I mean, he was able to step into the role, and the role it's the character is based off of another guy who they are actually friends with, who Jeff was involved. Dowd. Yes, Jeff Dowd, who was involved in the film industry, and who just had this persona and was like, you know, a pothead, just kind of hung out, let things go as they did, didn't stress out too much about anything, just kind of, you know, let things unfold around him, had this manner about him. And to think that, like, let's put somebody like that in the center of this maelstrom of activity going on around duplicitous kidnapping, ransoms, you know. A bowling tournament. A a bowling tournament. A pornographer. You know, like, all Mm -hmm. these characters. I mean, this is, you know, Harold... (laughs) Is totally right when he says like this Nihilist. film. This film, Nihilist, yeah, this film just, fits no genre. It's so good, but its skeleton yeah. is a film noir. Yeah. Its skeleton yeah, it, it is, is a, a detective yes. noir. There's a and you have that, yeah. yeah, you have the dude as the hapless detective mm-hmm. who the case comes to him. This woman's been kidnapped. How you know? Th- can you help us find her? Can you help us get her back? And he, of course, is as clueless and inept as any detective is. I mean, those detectives in film noirs are terrible, too. They don't actually find any of the clues. They stumble into the stuff. But watching this guy stumble into all these scenarios and trying to play himself through them and doing so successfully for the most part because he's able to just roll with it. I mean, one of the things that one of the defining characteristics of him is his ability. He's almost like chameleon-like, picking up little turns of phrase from all the people yes. around him yes. and reincorporating yes. them. You know, he for everything from bit, hearing yeah. George Bush, yeah. and, you know, when he's at the checkout line talking mm-hmm. about this aggression will not stand to, you know. Um, New things came to light from, yes. from Ma's character. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> he does. That he, yeah. It's just how lazy he is. He has his has no vocabulary. Well, is it lazy or is it just really like I mean, no, because sometimes he'll pull a beautiful vocabulary word out of his pocket. It's brilliant repurposing, I think, in a a way. It's also this um, um, exploration of this character who says his philosophy at the beginning. You know, just fucking chill, just and then later the film he's like, you know what? I figured it out. I've been giving this too much thought. I've been <laughs> worried about this too much yeah. when I need to just I think let he's it go. Way too uptight. Yeah. yeah. The other exhibit here is I don't think this film could exist in its masterpieceness without John Goodman. Absolutely. Oh, in yeah. that role, of course, he is incredible, and I love Walter, him. Of course, yeah. in Raising Arizona, bringing him back yeah. for something like this totally makes sense. Completely different character. When he pulls the gun out at the bowling alley toward the beginning of the film, <laughs> Mark and Zero. And it's it's <laughs> noting what his over the line. Yeah. Noting what his character is all about. He is a hothead. He is reactionary. And you watch a little bit on this time. I was really paying attention to his character arc. Because by the time they get to the funeral home, he's seething mad, but not screaming and acting out. It was 
it was a joy to watch this. It's a joy to watch this every single time. Unlike David, I've never seen this in the big screen. Oh, really? No, I saw it on the big screen. I, I'll probably watch it at least once a year, I would say. I will. Religiously. It, they, and they showed it at the draft house occasionally. I've, yeah. I've gone to see it. I'll go to the since. next one. Yeah, no, it's it, April 20th is an, is a screening date, I believe, that I've made before. Really? For, yeah. yeah. Makes sense. Uh, yeah. Although they're doing Dazed and Confused this year. I think Joe, on 420, I've already got tickets. <laughs> right, there you go. Very excited. Um, what they put together in this film is. It, it works on so many levels. I think what you've talked about with the casting already, Bridges, Goodman, they play oh my so God, the, well and together. The, and the supporting characters. The, the cast, is, cast is insane. You have right. so cast. many great I mean, the fact movie. that uh, Buscemi is like as small Donnie. of a piece yeah. as he is in this, but a really integral one. It really dawns, like rewatching it this time, I was thinking about. Like he gets so few lines because Walter steps on him every, you know, the John Goodman character. Every right. Time, so, you know, so shut I don't the know if fuck you know, up, if you know much about like. There's like, a lot of theories about the movie and like, okay. like who yeah, is of course, what. It's a religion so, like, based on the movie. So there's yeah. like a theory that that Buscemi's character is like the audience. Mm-hmm. He's asking the questions, never gets an answer. Right. 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 Um, there's a theory which kind of makes sense that Lebowski's father is actually Lebowski. How does the Bosky have money? You know, yeah. How does he write a check? The movie starts out with him going to a store. <laughs> where, where, where the check is, is for eighty where cents. Is jellies, what, what is it? <laughs> where is jellies? Where, no, it's better. Wearing his jellies and a robe and buying some cream to make his Caucasians. Yeah, goes to the counter. Write a check for sixty nine cents. Sixty nine cents. There you go. <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. It's yeah. like okay. So who's paying this guy? How does he have money? So there's a theory like. Like Lebowski, the the main Lebowski, yeah, the guy, Jeff Lebowski. Like Jeffrey. that, that's actually one of his like you know throwaway kids. Like Lebowski was fucking around. He, he is, is an urban achiever. This or is what it exactly yeah. yes. Absolutely. So that's possible that he is one of his kids. Why would you entrust this loser to like rescue your wife? Right from these well, kidnappers. But, th- th- but then what we learn is he doesn't even really think the wife, and no. he, or or even if he does, he's using it as an excuse to embezzle the funds. Yeah. From he their, needs he needs yeah. a loser. Yeah. Yeah. You needed a loser. You need a pass. But aren't I mean, you that? Are you but old? what better loser yeah. than his own son that he knows so is good. a fucking loser? Yeah, no, yeah. Than the Lebowski son. Well, what struck me on this viewing, which, but that that means that Maud and he have had an incestual no, uh, conception because the, Lebowski is not Maud's father. Oh, is that right? No, that's not oh, her dad. Oh, okay. Her dad. She says no. that. All right. No, that's not her father. Okay. No. She wants to keep it in the family, though. It's not Luclea Gross. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> what struck me in this viewing was the amount of trust that sometimes you have to put into a director when the visual vision is as important as the story. No Country for Old Men, that's an easy sell. You read that script and you say, of course, I'll be in this very straightforward thing that's not going to require a lot. Okay, I'm Anton Chigurh. I have to wear a funny haircut. Fine. This movie, though, okay, Julian, uh, we want you to be on a trapeze rig nude. And it's fling paint. That's at actually a, based off a real artist, though. Uh, okay, yeah, but we want artist, you to yeah, do so this was, actress when you yeah. show up to this. What year it, it did you see Yoko this, David? Ninety-eight when it came out. And how old were you? I was twenty. I figured out or your Julianne Moore uh, obsession today. I figured oh, it out. I, I, I love Julianne Moore too, though. She's so fantastic. she was. Uh, she was great in this film. I mean, as was everybody. One of my favorite scenes is the scene with her and. Uh, David, what's it? David Thulis? Yeah. <laughs> Knox Harrington, the Knox visual Harrington. artist. Harrington. <laughs> yeah. It's just so absurd. Or <laughs> with, his, with his weird little uh, God, squirrely I laugh. Mean, come on. There's just, there's just so many <laughs> p- 
parts of this movie that are just like <laughs> Maul so and Sandra Bobbianale. So much <laughs> okay, like uh, into my like my Jeff, psyche. This I is a drug fueled fantasy, and when you see. The nudity, the nude women. We just yeah. need you to smile into this big light and yeah. just, 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 just trust us. Yeah, and it just comes yeah. together so. Well, lie. what you're referring to, let's let's be clear. Yeah. Like, there's a couple great dream sequences, yeah, in the, sure. or or yeah. knockout drug sequences, uh-huh. however yeah. you want to think about it. Because the first one occurs when he is literally punched out, um, so that they can, so that Mod's henchmen nice can steal his rug. Good trivia: You know who punches him out? Who is it? Carlos Leon. The father of Lourdes, Madonna's daughter. Oh, okay. Wow. <laughs> yeah, dude. That's interesting. Isn't that crazy? There's that, so many little that's things. That's a very deep cut. Yeah, I was like, I was all around. I was like, that's, a, that's Madonna's well, baby daddy. That's amazing. He's wow. one of the guys that knocks him up. Well, so that that launches him into one of his dream sequences, the mm-hmm. one where he's like flying, flying through LA, throughout yeah. LA yeah. In, the, in the night sky yep. um, and then gets, you know, sort of drugged down by a mm-hmm. bowling ball. Um, but then the longer one that comes later when he's drugged by Jackie Treehorn and it sort oh of like God. roughly mimics a kind of weird porno with it, you know, it has the title sequence of gutter balls and, yeah. the, you know, the, the pin is a cock. But then and you the have ball. this like right. 1920, 1930s extravagant. Well, Busby Berkeley style yeah, musical sequence so with amazing. those, with all Incredible. the female dancers yeah. with the bowling headset, yeah. headdresses that mm-hmm. are kind of like doing these weird, funny, like geometrical yeah, I mean, patterns. I, I, imagine with the-, the conversation that you're having with the costumer. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, like, total trust in us for this visual feast that we've, I'm sure, storyboarded. But there are no dailies. Can you imagine the storyboard? It must have been so cool. Right. So, Jeff, well, we just yeah. need you to do this. Trust us. You're yeah. flying through L.A. because you're high. Yeah. And just the beauty of those sequences. Okay, again, and I'm going to, because this is what I was doing when I was watching Driveaway Dolls. Yeah, I get it. I'm watching those shitty mm-hmm. psychedelic sequences and Driveway Dolls. <laughs> we understand. And I'm like, okay, yeah, you're doing like, you're doing generic you know, psychedelic sequences with characters that I have no idea about. And later I'm going to learn about. Great. Big Lebowski. Those are totally motivated sequences where things that I have seen that character see get yeah. distorted and sure. re sure. sort of configured. Those are master classes yeah. in <clears throat> p- showing somebody's like this weird look into somebody's psyche that means something to me yeah. in this character versus gimmick David, in driveway David, dolls i know you don't mind getting a clue at the beginning of the movie that you don't find out what it means until the end i know it, that's okay if it paid off it, yeah. if it paid off if matt damon's character when i learned about matt damon's character then like i understood why this was like such a profound thing that i'm seeing repeated throughout the film mm-hmm. then maybe i would have cared but yeah. that what, doesn't happen what if you were on mushrooms though <laughs> What if he was on mushrooms? There, that's fine. Um, but I love those sequences in The Big Lebowski. I think that those ones oh, I, I are think, ones I that think, reward close yeah, rewatching. Sure. Just even the scene where he arrives to Malibu and meets Jackie Treehorn mm-hmm. with the girl jumping on the on the trampoline, oh, yeah. the trampoline, the with, with motion, the Martin Denny and, and, music, and, and the guys and the, oh, and the oh, soundtrack God. in this movie is incredible. And it's nudity for nudity's sake. Yeah, and there it, was a lot of so that in Driveaway Dolls as well. I mean, there were yeah. angles of female sex acts that captured nudity very purposefully yeah well i i I feel like uh less less just titillation for titillation's sake in lebowski is what is what i would say oh you thought it was for titillation's sake i'm just saying that i didn't get any hint of it being for titillation's sake in lebowski Lebowski. i I agree yeah no but it's uh this dedication to the female form in that it is not 
let's let's put it in there too because why are we so uncomfortable yeah. with it? Yeah. I think that that's probably right. a thematic through line. Yeah, but, but I, I do know, like you know, of course, Bridges gets all the accolades, but we mentioned Walter Schaubach's character, but that character, John Goodman's character, I mean, he definitely is a huge part of this film. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He is central to everything that happens. He's one that kind of gets this story going in motion. He's in control, but always out of control. Because, you know, the whole story is, you know, getting the rug back. He says, well, hey, man, this guy's got money. Let's get the money. And that's where the movie really takes off. Like, mm-hmm, he's the yeah. he's the one kind of but but the he's the, the one making the story. Well, it, move no, along, if you didn't have Walter, you know? there would be no there would be no story. Be no story. Yeah, because it's no Walter film. saying, yeah. "Hey, no, 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 look, no. it's the Lebowski." But yeah. if we believe the Lebowski is, theory that the the briefcase never had money in it, why didn't they look? Maybe it was locked. Yeah. Then there still would have been a story because no, the, no, no, no. I mean. He would have never even gone to meet the big Lebowski yeah, we, we, oh, without, if Walter, Walter hadn't told yeah. it. It's Walter the next day when yeah. they're at the bowling alley and he's saying, you know, like his wife goes around, owes money all over mm. town. And now they take your rug and they piss right, on your right. rug. You that <laughs> He's the one who convinces yeah. Lebowski, the, the but, dude, but he, that he, he needs to he go. He alters Jeff Bridges' plan so often and then never takes any responsibility for it. I mean, oh, he, no. He's such a fantastic character. Yeah. Or, so or the about, scene in the diner. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll get you a toe. Yes. <laughs> <My throat fire. laughs> did you notice that did you notice when he's reaching in his pocket to grab change to pay off his coffee, he drops a joint in the counter? Yeah. Yeah. And then it? picks yeah. it up like, again. Yeah, I love yeah. that. Yeah. That's so true. good. I'm so glad we could talk about this. Oh, the, I, I mean, consider talking about it for hours. Yeah. There's just it's it's probably the most quotable movie in the last thirty years I can think of. There's so many quotes, so many moments that are just kind of embedded in in my psyche, and like you know, you talk about the the duality of the movie where it continues in time and time again. There's a religion based on it now. Mm-hmm. There's yearly festivals, screenings, screenings all over the country at all times just, with Rocky Horror elements. Yeah, yeah. And it's a movie when it came out was just kind of panned and not you know didn't do very well. But it, it's it's had a a moment like in the kind of midnight movie. Yeah, growing it's like Rocky Horror. This movie is yeah. going to continue to be around forever. Yeah, yeah. People are going to find it. You know, thirty years from now, they're going to enjoy it. I think. Sam Elliott is the stranger. Oh, I was the, say, yeah. the, uh, that, that character, the opening fantastic. narration that you only the like music. halfway through the film realize. The oh music. wait, you're going to show me who this narrator yeah. is, and mm-hmm. wait, and he interacts with with yeah. Lebowski. Yeah. Hilarious, and then it's you know to close up the film with that. I just think that's such a funny and strange and unique touch. And again, like I think what you were saying earlier, Harold, about like this film doesn't have a single genre. It is very obsessed with genre and it's playing around Mm -hmm. with genre. A lot of what it's doing is like, hey, look, we can mess around. We can do all this stuff and, you know, and still tell you a story that's pretty satisfying. Yeah, I'll go with it. Very good. How's that Caucasian? Well, yeah. How how are these Caucasians? (laughs) I'm drinking a beer that purports to be a white Russian. I would say right alongside a white Russian. Close. Similarities as far as flavor and, and profile. I, I think that, that if there's a smell. Texas now that Ingenious is gone, if there's a Texas brewery that I'd like to hang out with for a few days and watch their research and development department, it might be Martin Houses. It might be 903 because those two Texas breweries are very big in our grocery store, and their claim to fame is 50 styles available. Yeah. <laughs> Cool gimmicks, cool, interesting combinations, think, experimentation. You know what, you know what David? I, I Martin think, House hits it often. I think we can take us to after hours, but I think that whole genre of beer is, um, writing of, it down. is, is going away. I think the, just, the fun, I, yeah, I mean, flavor combination. I'm an old school beer guy, been doing yeah. it a long time, and 
I have no interest anymore in drinking this kind of beer. Just, just because just, it has a French toast or a I just donut don't drink. or a... Yeah. But I, you I'm thought just, this one was okay. It's okay. I mean, you're just not... You're not, like, getting excited to see it on the show. I'm not going to drink a four-pack of these or a four-pack of these. Right. No, but you I know. think oftentimes we say, buy a four-pack and take it to a four-person party. Yeah. So everyone can have a taste of this interesting concept, yeah. but it's so sweet. And so sugary, mm-hmm. and you expect it like to be like a white Russian. Yeah, <laughs> like right. This beer, this, you expect it to be, so you forgive it for that because yeah. it's not. It's not bad that it is that thing. It's just not a, a word we use. A crushable, drinkable. You know, yeah. it's not something you're going to do over and over and over again. I'm happy I found this. When you said, David, it's just an ale, quote unquote. We can surmise what style might be underneath it. Yeah. But I wish a I had more information, or b it sounds very generic. We just had a concept and wanted to go with it. Is this one of those things where the can will sell beer because people like Absolutely. the big Lebowski? Yeah, for sure. Or is there a great beer in and here? And the thing is, there, there's, there's about, I, I know, you probably mentioned five or ten Lebowski beers out there right now that have been made in the last yeah. 20, 20 years. Right. It's, yeah. The, that it's, weird um, license-adjacent looking a of, a ton of can beers. art. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But I think Lebowski is a movie that would almost require its own podcast, like, Putting it with this one here, and, and oh, you could do a multi-series. We could sit here and talk about it for hours. Sure, there's just so much to talk about. It's a scene-by-scene scene breakdown film. Yeah, there's no much. doubt about yeah. it. For sure. Yeah, after hours, maybe a little bit. So yeah, one of our favorite parts of the movie. About. I would love to hear what what y'all think are your favorite scenes. I think this is a respectable uh, stab at doing a beer for the uh, Big Lebowski tie-in. Mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, I like Harold. I think I am. At a point in my beer drinking where I am less and less enamored of these kind of gimmick beers, but this is a gimmick that speaks to me. And seeing a four pack of it on the shelf, I did buy it. This is I brought these beers. You did, um, and and with the express intent of I hope there's a good reason to do a Cohen Brothers episode mm-hmm. soon. And and lo and behold, there this was is not an IPA that's going to rot in the fridge, right? Right, right, and it's only been. I think I bought this like maybe a month and a half, two months. But, but ago. I'll, I'll tell not- you though, drinking right now White Russian next to this beer, the profiles are very similar. Yeah, like like I can taste White Russian in this beer. Yeah, like, no it's doubt. Very well made. No doubt. Yeah, it's very well made. That's what I'm saying. I'd love it's to be in their R and D department yeah. and say. I watched Big Lebowski last weekend. We should do a Big Lebowski beer. Make I love the Marvin scene. Beer. You, you mean a Miller Genuine Draft? Because that's what they drink when they're at the alley. But <laughs> oh shit! I wish I pulled one out right Champagne now. Do they, the make, do they still make that? Champagne uh, the beers, of course they do. Well, no, that's oh, Miller High Life. That they they show them drinking MGD oh, in the bottle, MGD, really? and they show them drinking out of plastic cups that have the Miller Light logo. Dude, there's on so them. much we didn't cover. We didn't cover the nihilist. Okay, after hours, <laughs> that's right, Flea. We didn't even tell you. Okay, so after hours, so much what was David's 3,000th record that he purchased this oh. week? What movie am I going to go see? Are you seeing it tomorrow night, too? Are we going together? Uh, oh, I, I have tickets. I don't know. if It's, it's a 945 screen. You're we'll going, see if I go. dude, if you don't give me the tickets. <laughs> and then also, I have access to two huge audio files, and I have a big audio equipment question. And all- I'd like to hear about your... The comedy show? comedy show. I'd love to tell you about it. David yeah. was there. Uh, we'll talk about all that in After Hours. We're going to have a fun After Hours, folks. And that is why you should know the best thing about beer in a movie is that the conversation does not end here on the episode. You can find us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, on Instagram, so many different little places, nooks and crannies online. Um, you can go to our but our website, beerinamoviepodcast.com, for some nice curated lists of our episodes, as well as the link to our Tee Public store where you can buy various forms of merch. 
And you can find our chat on Discord under the name Beer in a Movie. The conversation continues. Come come get an invite there and uh, just ask. We'll, we'll, we'll get you in and let you start talking. Um, we've also mentioned already that we're going to extend this conversation ourselves on that Patreon subscriber-only After Hours bonus episode. Sign up at patreon.com slash beer in a movie podcast. That way you can get access to those. We'd love for you to review us on your podcast platform where you're listening, so please do that. Make it a, a five-star rating if you can. That way the algorithm can do what it do. We have just delivered to you another, gosh, I'm looking for the right word. I want to say deuterific. He he kind of, you know, adjectivizes his, his own name a little bit. So uh, Unless you're for brevity. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you're not. Dude-tastic. Yeah. Um, a, a, another deuterific episode of Beer in a Movie. Until next time. Hey, careful, man. There's a beverage here. 